Hello and welcome to Ends With Me. My name is Madison Ariel and I am your host on this podcast. Together we explore the depths of what it means to heal for ourselves so that we may grant permission for others to begin exploring their own healing journeys. So get cozy and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Ends With Me. I have my soul sister, Deanne Barrett, here with me this morning. Deanne is an international parent coach, teenage expert, Reiki master, and host of the podcast Radiant Mom. Deanne blends her academic self and her intuitive self to guide moms through the turbulence of their child's teenage years. You can connect with Deanne on Instagram at Radiant Mom Podcast and on Facebook um, at Radiant Mom Podcast as well. She also has a website you can reach her at www.radiantmom.ca. Please welcome Deanne. I'm so excited to share her wisdom with you this morning. I know she has helped countless moms and teenagers get through some of the most difficult years, I think, in terms of parenting, just based off what I've witnessed with my own mother and teenage brother. (laughs) Um, Yeah, welcome, Deanne. Hi, thanks for having me here. It's such an honor and a blessing to be here with you. Yes, thank you. Uh, So my first question for you is, what inspired you to get into this line of work? of helping moms and their teenagers? Yeah, so I have worked with teenagers since I was a teenager. I was a youth minister at the church I attended, and then I did that as I was going through the education program, and I became a teacher, and then I worked with high school students in the classroom. And then I became a mom and realized um, that full-time teaching wasn't a good fit for me, and that was really where a lot of my healing work needed to happen. And we can come back to that for sure. And then I realized what I really knew a lot about was understanding teenagers and seeing the unique stage that they're in and the needs that they have. And so I started working with moms to help them understand their teenager. And so a couple of things, you know, the teenage stage is really unique and teens need a certain level of care, but they are not taught that in school and their parents don't know how to support them really well. And also moms need a certain level of care. We all do, you know, and really looking at the stage of life that we're in and the roles that we fill, we all need a certain kind of care and tenderness. And yet this overculture we're in teaches us to, you know, optimize our lives and move faster and do more. And that is like, um, can be crazy making in terms of the overwhelm in our minds of all the things we should be doing. And we sometimes get focused on a whole bunch of things that really don't make a big difference. So how do we really understand what is going to make a big difference for us in our lives and in our relationships with ourselves, our relationship with the earth, relationship with the divine, a relationship with the people we love who are in our homes and in our lives. Mm. So that's kind of the short version of the long story of, of how I got here. But I've always had a heart for working with people and supporting them. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, in the past couple of years, I also started working with teachers again, teachers who are students, teachers who are going to work with young people in junior and senior highs. So again, really supporting people in understanding that unique stage and how to care for yourself as the adult in the space so that you can care for and be present with young people in a really powerful way. I love that. Thank you. Um, I do want to circle back right away here to um, what your own healing journey looked like in those moments where you were in transition out of full-time teaching and possibly a little bit about what the wake-up call was for you and a bit of the time you were in at that point in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I started teaching 
because I loved it and I loved working with students. And I also thought that down the road, it would be a really great fit for family life because I would have evenings and weekends and summers, you know, with my future children. But as it turned out, the way our city has grown, I had 40 students in every class and I had 120 students that I saw every day. And I, because I was an English teacher, I had a pile of marking to bring home every day. And I just kept thinking like, I just need to be more organized. You know, it was all about time for me then. Like, I just need to maximize my time and be more organized and I can sort this out. And by then I had two young children. So two toddlers that I was taking to the day home every day. And on paper, I had lots of support and resources. You know, my husband was really supportive. We had a great day home. My parents were involved in helping us. You know, they would be with the kids every Friday. And and yet, I just felt like there was not enough of me to go around. I felt like I was doing a poor job in my work as a teacher. I felt like I was doing a poor job at home. Our marriage was suffering because I was just cranky all the time because I felt like there was just not enough of me to do a good job at all the things. And I remember um, going to uh, one of the counselors. So our school board offers counseling services to teachers who are struggling. So I was like, okay, I need to receive help. I clearly don't know what to do. And I had been um, at that point, leading workshops around mindfulness with other staff members and really exploring how I could incorporate mindfulness into my classroom to support my students. So I went to this counselor and he, his suggestion was that I try mindfulness. And I remember being so angry and confused. I was like, ah, I like, okay mindfulness is not the answer that I'm looking for, but I think it's part of it. You know, I didn't want to rule that out. I was like, I, you know, so I thought, okay, I need, I need something different. I need a different level of support. And maybe I need to take a meditation class to like deepen my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine said, okay, I know this woman who teaches Reiki, but a large part of it is meditation. And I was like, well, I don't know what Reiki is, but okay, that sounds good. Like I'll, I'll commit to that. So I started um, taking a Reiki class because I wanted the consistent support to deepen my meditation practice. And what I learned through that is that I was so much in my mind, you know, as an academic and an English teacher, mindfulness was just about my mind. And I felt like I was just trying to twist my mind into a pretzel to like get to the still point or something. And every time I would sit down to meditate, my mind would just fill up with lists. I would either create a list of what I needed to do at school or a list of what I needed to do at home. And I just had this moment. I was like, surely I have got to be more than just the holder of lists. And I was just like, okay. And so I just kept meditating and letting the lists flow through me until I felt that there was something else going on there. And for those of you who might not be familiar with Reiki, what I learned in that practice was how to not just be mindful and slow down and be still, but how to connect to my body in a different way. So one of the powerful things that I learned in that class when we did our meditations was our instructor, Geneva Robbins, would get us to you know, physically touch our body parts as we're learning about the chakras. So touching the top of my head, touching my throat, touching my chest to feel my heart, touching my belly and feeling in to all of me. And that's really was a huge first step for me to step outside of mindfulness, which was just this disconnection and the academic world breeds on this too, this disconnection from our minds and the rest of us, our bodies, our spirits, our sense of wholeness. So that was really, really a powerful first step for feeling into who I am, what I have the capacity to sustain, and how I could create a life that actually felt good. And so over the next number of years, I took a leave of absence from my teaching job, spent more time with my babies, started my coaching company so I could support moms. And now really I'm living in the space of doing, holding both things together. You know, 
this, this academic, you know, we're all in a time of brain science, which is really incredible to help us understand the stage that adolescents are in, in terms of brain science, but also not losing, losing sight of their incredible spiritual capacity and understanding of energy and their desire for a great purpose and how high school can feel like a holding cell. And they're like, so many students feel stuck, useless. They're no longer children. They're not yet adults. They just have to kind of do this work that feels really meaningless. So how do we help support not only their brain, but also their spirits? And so I'm bringing in all of those things that I have been trained in, the academic world, the educational psychology, the brain science, and also the intuition and the trust, because we're also in this time of massive amounts of information when what we really need is wisdom. So if we can pull together our understanding of science and technology and all of that with the trust of what's right for me and what gifts do I have and how can I make a decision and how can I choose when we have this, you know, buffet of choices all around us. So that's, that's the transition of how my own kind of healing and recognition of what was happening in my own life led me to some understandings that helped me start to serve others with this lens and this perspective that I, that I learned through really difficult times. I love that. Um, can we dig in a little bit to the, like the mind, the brain science of this, and then also like the spiritual science? Cause I would really love to know what that looks like in the teenager years. Yeah. Like where, so where does that take us? Yeah. So the adolescent brain the is under construction. So I often will talk about, okay, so my son, our oldest, he's nine and he's very logical, thinks about the consequences to his actions. He's good at planning. And right now at nine, the brain is kind of stable in the prefrontal cortex that's in charge of those things, which is planning, organizing, thinking of the consequences of actions. Mm-hmm. But after, so children go through puberty and we blame their hormones for like the incredible ups and downs. And when they're through that puberty stage, it is hormones. So junior high years, but by the time they're kind of through that and into high school, you know, 14 to 25, um, what's happening is the prefrontal cortex is restructuring itself. So I know that my nine-year-old son even though he's really good at those things now, when he's 14, he may be worse at them than he is at nine. But what we tend to expect is that we're on this upward trajectory that our kids will get better and better and better at things. But what's happening with their brains is the prefrontal cortex is restructuring in the adolescent years. So that means that they need support and guidance with making a plan, with anticipating the consequences of their actions. And they need prompting. So some parents will say like, I'm so scared their brain isn't developed and they're making all these really big decisions. Driving, substances, relationships, sex. Like, oh my gosh, they're doing this with an immature brain. And it's like, they are, but we all did. Yeah. (laughs) And this is nothing new in our development. And some other pieces of, of their age and stage is that they are so geared to acceptance of their peers Mm. and we really worry about peer pressure but that's also the drive that allows them to step outside of our homes and we want them to go and make their own life in the world and so understanding that um, that means that as parents if we're parenting our our adolescent children the same way we did when they were young we're doing it wrong Mm. they need guidance they need prompting they need support and we can't give them our answers because they're in a state of having to come up with their own answers. So how do you, how do you build the relationship to be able to foster that guidance? Mm -hmm. Part of it is trusting your kids to solve their own problems 
And so I'm practicing with my own kids who are seven and nine, you know, they'll come home from school. And at that age, you know, the, the problems they have are pretty small, you know, but so-and-so said something to me, or I'm really annoyed because this person keeps doing something. My daughter comes home. There's this one kid who keeps looking under the bathroom stalls when I'm in there. And it's like, that is really upsetting. And so I can't tell her what to do. I know that all day long at school, she has to solve those problems. So I'll ask her, you know, what can you do about that? How will you know if, if the problem's too big for you and you need to talk to your teacher? Right. And so just tapping into getting her to think about what are, there are many solutions here. Which one are you willing to act on? And how do you know? And I'll say, I'm grateful you told me so we can talk about it. So we can think together about what some options are. And, you know, when do you think you would need to talk to a teacher about this? So she's deciding and she knows some problems are bigger than what she needs to handle on her own. Yep. There are adults around her and there are some problems she can solve on her, on her own. And which kind of problem is this? And those skills translate to when they're much older, right? Mm -hmm. Who can you talk to that knows about this? Who can support you? Who are the people around you? How will you know when you need to reach out for help? And how do you know your capacity of what you can handle on your own? Right. I love that. So as a parent, how do, you, uh, how do you remove yourself from that? Because I know a lot of parents, if they were to hear, oh, there's this one kid at school that keeps looking under the bathroom stall, could take that on as their own and then like try to solve the problem for their child. And then if they weren't solving the problem, get into this massive guilt trip spiral of I'm a terrible parent and I can't help my kid. And so what are some practices then as a parent to be able to remove yourself from the attachment of outcomes of the decisions your child is making? I always say we're playing the long game here. Mm. So the short game is fixing it for your kid but then you actually take away their ability to solve their own problems. Right. And what our kids need is the ability to solve problems. Yeah. And not that they're doing it in isolation, but at collaborate with other people to solve problems. But I know that my job is to help my kids see themselves as problem solvers and understand their own power. Yeah. And what often happens is parents will tell their kids how to solve it. But what that means is we're telling the kids all those subtle factors that they know about the social world of their school and how all their peers interact, all of that, they're experts. My daughter's seven and she is an expert on her classroom scenario. I only know about it from what she tells me or what her teacher would tell me, yeah. right? She's an expert there and she's got to weigh all of those factors out. And if I just give her my answer, I am denying her expertise in that area. And so it's being really clear. My job is to help my kids understand that they are in charge of their lives and they're solving the problems yeah. and be here for them as a person to listen to them. And so that also means that my kids tell me a lot of things that are going on yeah. because they know I'm not going to just short circuit their knowing and tell them what to do. Mm. I'm just going to listen. And I also will ask them, do you just need to vent or are you looking for solutions or are you looking for my opinion? And so it, they get to choose. And a kid who asks for their parents' opinion is a kid who wants it and is more likely to listen. Because what often happens is we like opinion, 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 you know, and then they hear a whole bunch of stuff and they walk away and do their own thing anyways. Yep. And so, I mean, it's really about being um, targeted with, with your influence and, and just having that trust that they, they can handle it. Awesome. And, and in those moments, you know, I know a lot of moms come to me afraid, like, but my kid's not handling it. It's like, okay, then you get to be a good mirror to them and read back to them. You know, for the past five days in a row, you've come to me saying that you're really frustrated about the situation. Is there a next step? you know, and being that mirror, because when we're in the middle of a problem, we sometimes lose track of the size of that problem. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Um, can you share, 
if you're comfortable sharing, maybe a personal account of a more difficult problem that you have had to work through as a parent with your child. And like, maybe we won't go to like the most difficult if that's like too vulnerable, but if there is like a real life scenario you feel comfortable sharing, I would love to hear that. Yeah, let me just think. Yeah, I'll share, I'll share something. I'm just letting my puppy out here because I heard her whining. Um, I'll share a scenario that comes up often. And this is where it gets really difficult in parenting is when you have those constant conflicts with your kids that keep coming up over and over again. And it means I have more work to do because I'm the adult and I get to do the work in the relationship. So my daughter and I often will butt heads and usually... It's around time. And if you remember what I shared before, my, a big conflict for me was feeling like I didn't have enough time to do all the things I needed to do. And so I know this is an area that I am in the process of, of working with because I often don't give myself enough time. I want to do a lot of things. And again, it comes back to the mind. My mind can come up with a whole bunch of great ideas fabulous ways I can support people, projects I can do, and I want to do them all. And so I don't give myself enough time for them. Right. So how this looks with my daughter and I is it's like, okay, you're still in your pajamas and haven't brushed your teeth and we need to leave for school in 15 minutes. And so what I want to do is like, okay. And she is just learning to tell time. So it's not like she really under, it's not like I could say like, look at the clock, 15 minutes, you know, it's like, how do we make this happen? And so she'll say, don't rush me. I don't like being rushed. And I'm like, well, you also don't like being late. So, you know, (laughs) don't rush me. You can't tell time and you don't like being late. Like, I don't know how to solve this one. And so it, it has been a journey of us trying to collaborate together. How, so she's learning to tell time which helps because now she has a concept of 15 minutes and what she can get done in 15 minutes. Right. She has a concept of how she needs to hurry up sometimes. And I am learning how to not nag her through it. Mm. So I have a series of alarms on my phone, you know, when there's half an hour to go, a song will play. So she knows, okay, half an hour. And then when it's time to get your shoes on, there's another song that plays. So I don't have to say anything anymore. She's like, okay, it's, we call it the shoe alarm. So it's like, okay, there's the shoe alarm. So that means if you get your snow pants and your shoes on and get walking out the door and don't have five other things that you want to go do, that means we'll get to school on time, which is what she wants, which is to be on time. Right. So I realize in this place where we consistently would butt heads, a lot of it is about me healing my issues around time and having enough time and getting things done. And, and she's mirroring that back to me in her needs and desires. Oh my gosh. I love that. Children are such a gift. <laughs> An uncomfortable gift at times. I can imagine. I, my mom always tells me, she's just always says, uh, wait till you have your own children and then tell me what you think. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. They come with their own. It's incredible how much they come with that. It's like, you came with this whole package of, of personality and needs and things. And, you know, there's some shaping you can do as a parent, but a lot of just accepting, like, this is the person that you are. Yeah. And we got to work with that. Yeah. Have you read, I'm sure you've read the book, uh, Kids These Days by Jody Carrington. What? No, but the the name is familiar. I think I should because people have recommended it to me a couple times. Oh my gosh. Well, so she's, I believe she's local-ish. I think she lives in High High River maybe or like south of the city, but used to work for like the Alberta Children's Hospital and stuff as a psychologist and then now does work with like teachers and that area. Um, But she talks about how if you're, she calls it blowing the lid, like yeah, so your child is getting emotionally worked up or like throwing a tantrum at home, whatever. Um, and she talks about like, if your child sometimes releases emotions while you're around or uh, is 
expressing those frustrations at home that it's actually um, a healthy sign because it means they're not expressing those things out in the world with other people because they have the safe space to do it at home. Would you concur that that is an accurate? Absolutely. And that is why it's really hard to be a parent because you're like, I, I know you're not like this anywhere else. Why are you like this with me? Like, why am I the one that has to handle all of these outbursts? But yeah, I that's absolutely true. When you know that that means it's the safe space for them. And especially, I mean, when you have a young one that has little tantrums, you you get it. But knowing that in adolescence, if your child comes home and they're full of drama and problems, and that is an uncomfortable blessing because they're talking to you and yeah. you're hearing about it and you're able to be there for them in a powerful way. Yeah. I'll sh- I can share another story quickly about an uncomfortable moment. And this is about, you know, having those big emotions. I remember a couple of years ago, so my daughter was probably five and I had just had it with her. Like I just didn't have any more patience left. I felt like there was like nothing. It was the end of the day and I just didn't feel like I had anything left. We'd been through a whole bunch of drama earlier in the day. And so I don't send my kids for a timeout because that doesn't work. But sometimes I'll say that I need a timeout because I just need to like get away and like take a few breaths by myself. So I said like, mommy needs a timeout. And I was like trying to go to my bedroom and that's, she was in panic mode because she felt like I was leaving her. And I said, I just need two minutes and then I'll come back. Absolutely not. So that was really frustrating because I was like, I need to be as far from you as possible right now. And her need was to be right next to me in that moment. And I was like, this is a lose-lose situation. How do I make this a win-win situation? And I just had to hold her and we like had to breathe together. And I like, I called it, I said, I just have to do some dragon breaths. And I like breathed in really big and I was like, like huffing it out because I was just so fired up that like I freaking can't get two minutes away from you I love you but I'm gonna kill you you know it was just one of those really intense moments and I felt like what I needed and the really good strategy was to just like give myself two minutes apart and come back to it but I couldn't have that and that was really made me so mad and then like how do I be mad in front of my five-year-old who is flipping her lid Mm. we're both flipping our lids and so I just had to sit there and do these dragon breaths and she just was like next to me and she was happy because like mommy was right next to me she needed me physically there and I thought I don't know why because you can tell that my energy is like full of fire I don't know why you need to be next to me right now but that's what she needed and so it's one of those moments where I'm like I'm the adult I don't always get what I want Mm. and I had a beautiful um, shaman tell me that's the moment when you take your inner child and put her in the backpack behind you Mm. so that you can be present with the child that is in front of you. And that's, that's the leadership role as an adult is having those moments where you might not get what you need in that moment. And so you have to shelve it and be present with your child. But the next step is when you have the next available moment, you need to tend to that inner child you put in the backpack. So when my little girl was safely tucked in bed that night and asleep, then I had to care for that need that just needed time away and to nurture myself. Because what often happens is we don't do that second step. And then it comes up again later. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I have been teaching um, preschool classes. Actually, my other question is, so when you're doing the dragon breaths, do you think that there is part of that though that is also teaching her like, because children are smart. Like they know when you are in a mood. They know when you're off. They know when you're not happy. (laughs) Do you think that there's part of her that watches you do something like, okay, mommy's really mad right now and now she's breathing, do you think there's part of her that picks up on that as well? And then we'll also use breath as a form of self-regulation? Absolutely. I think it's highly possible. Knowing my daughter, I also think maybe not, (laughs) but 
all we can do, like I didn't punch a wall. Like she doesn't have that as an image of what mommy does when she's mad. I sat there and breathed. So it gives her one more example of what a person could do. But the reason why I say maybe not, I would love to say absolutely. And now she's going to breathe through her anger all the time. That just isn't realistic. Our kids have multiple examples, but I'm the woman she lives with. So I'm hoping that she'll see my example most often, but she'll get examples from school and the older she gets, she'll get examples from her kids and, or from her friends and from her teachers through the years. And I have to just understand I am one example, but I'm a really powerful example because you know, this is the most intimate relationship she has with another female adult. Yes. Yep. I love that. Um, Going into a little bit of caring for the spirit of teenagers, looking back to what we were talking about a bit earlier, is that, what does that look like? Because I feel like it's something that I don't hear talked about a whole ton. Like I hear a lot about, um, mental health for sure in teenagers which I mean I feel like we're doing starting to do maybe a better job of caring for and I still think we have a ways to go but I don't really think I've heard anything about caring for the spiritual health of teenagers yeah and it's really understanding the heart of what teenagers need and it's what we all need but in some ways we have lost touch with that So there's some actually, there's some great, the worlds are blending. There's some great um, academic research that supports the needs of adolescent spirits um, done by Dr. Lisa Miller. And she wrote a book called The Spiritual Child. And she identified that children who, adolescents who feel connected to something bigger than themselves It's a really broad category. It doesn't matter if they're connected to a church youth group or they feel a commitment to their team at school. Mm -hmm. If they're connected to something bigger than just their own world, Mm -hmm. their own individual life, that they are more resilient, less likely to take all those risks that we're scared of in terms of if it's drunk driving or unsafe sex or whatever it is. Um, And so what adolescents desperately need is to connect to something bigger than they are. Mm -hmm. Because if they feel like life is all about their own life, they feel like a hot mess, right? Especially now, you know, if I'm comparing my insides of feeling worried and ashamed and upset and confused, which is all, a lot of that is happening because of the restructuring of the prefrontal cortex, emotional regulation is challenging for adolescents. So if I'm comparing my inner hot mess to curated, beautiful, photoshopped Instagram, Mm -hmm of all the highlight reels of everybody's lives, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And so we need to support our adolescents in understanding also the stage that they're in and understanding their feelings and that they're not alone in that. So if they look around their classroom of 30 people and feel like everyone else has got their shit together but me, it's like, mm mm-mm, everybody is an inner mess and we're all just like trying to, pretend that that isn't happening and how do you work with your own inner mess yeah well yeah I think a large okay well a few things about what you just shared number one you just shared about feeling connected to something greater than yourself and whether that's like a church youth group or being more of a like uh, like a religious approach to that or like and that's a spectrum right like I feel like any sort of like daily spiritual practice that you could like find in, I don't want to just say like chapters, but if you were, you know what I mean? Like if you're meditating Mm -hmm. every day or whatever, and like have a understanding of a higher power and feel connected to that, which I know not everybody does. And I most definitely did not feel that way as a teenager. Um, And then you said, or part of a, uh, like a group or a team. Mm -hmm. And what scares me so badly right now is obviously I work in a dance studio with a dance team that is supposed to be competing in May. And what is scaring me so badly right now is that having been taken away. Mm. Like it is absolutely horrifying to me and it scares the crap out of me how 
little value and importance that has been giving in during these like COVID times. Mm-hmm. Like we have been shut down now since November 13th. My students have not seen each other um, outside of a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And it is scary to me that 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 understanding of being connected to something bigger than yourself because uh for me in high school like I was a dancer as well but I think the bigger one for me was um being part of theater productions in high Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. which has also been taken away like my brother is part of like pretty into drama and theater and whatever he's in grade 12 now so Mm -hmm. um but those are not happening this year. And that scares the crap out of me because it does give you a sense of being connected something to something greater than yourself, especially like you said at the beginning of this, when at that age, a lot of the stuff that is being done just in the classroom feels a little bit um, pointless <laughs> mm-hmm. as a teenager and like obviously there is value in some of that stuff and as I'm getting older I am seeing the value in being able to read and write and communicate and all of that but at that age I was like I don't understand why I have to write this stupid essay I don't care about individualism and all this crap they're trying to get me to do mm-hmm. um, but what I did care about was like connection and the connections that were made in those groups uh, that I was creating things with, mm-hmm. that was art. And it just, it scares the living daylights out of me that that is a thing that is not happening this year. Yeah, And I, I've been seeing the mental and emotional and physical impacts that is having on my own students, mm-hmm. as well as like some other kids I don't necessarily work directly with. Um. So I think we have a powerful role to reframe what's happening um, for ourselves and for the people that are in our sphere of influence, because there's nothing like in-person connection and being part of something that is embodied together in the same space. And we still can gather on a Zoom call and that's about making do with what we've got. Yeah, which is what we've been working with, I think. Yeah, and recognizing that when you are, it's a part, it's it's about seeing yourself as a part of something bigger. And if what you can do right now is be a really good part and it it comes back to the philosophy of sometimes you're gonna sharpen the saw Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're gonna use the saw. So when we're together as a team, that's when we're going to use our skills. Right Right. now, when we're doing our own part at home, we can sharpen our skills. Mm. So what can we all be doing to be a good part and sharpen up our skill set so that when we're together? So I know that there is nothing like team team activities, but when you're home, you're training. You're right. checking in with your team. Are you keeping up with your fitness? Are you keeping up with your training? Are you are you doing it so that when we get to come together, yeah. you can do a great part of it? Right. So really, I think a big part of that is watching our language because I've heard a lot of people talking about what's been taken away from them. Yeah. And the flip side of that is what has been given to us. Right. We've been given the opportunity to really figure out who am I and what part do I want to play? And sometimes we get in a habit of playing a certain part. And now when we're not, you know, connected there, we get to go inside, inside our hearts and minds and bodies and say, how can I, is this the part that I'm going to keep playing and how can I be a good part? Right. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm just, okay. This is a personal question because I don't even have a clue. Uh, I'm trying to figure out right now where the balance is because what I'm getting. Uh, so I have all these students that are beautiful souls and want to be part of this competitive team. And what I'm struggling with right now is there's a couple of them that are like, I really want to be on this team. I'm committed to it. And this Zoom call thing is killing me. And they are wanting to quit. But 
this came up yesterday with one of them where the reason like she doesn't want to do the zoom call but feels like if she doesn't do it that like if she comes back on the team she's going to be treated differently and so where like finding the balance because then i have another handful of students who have been in a mood since this whole thing has started and will not turn on their zoom cameras and I'm not going to force them at this point to do anything because I feel like that's a bit of a, a, a boundary and I'm not totally sure like what's going on with them behind closed doors and like what the deeper story is. And like on some levels, I don't need to know um, what their reason is for being like, I just don't feel well, I'm not doing it today. But like finding, like, there's got to be a balance. So I guess my question is, is how do I get them to feel like they are still part of something greater, but not feel like they have to overwork themselves in order to continue to be part of something greater? Because I'm, there's a large spectrum here of kids that are like showing up every day, are doing it. And then some of them are kind of like, why is so-and-so not here? And it's it's a hard balance I'm I'm finding to like, grasp as the leader of the group <laughs> it's like trying to get them to competitions that may or may not even be happening at this point we have no idea and like so I guess yeah how do I create that sense of part of something greaterness without uh forcing into overdrive when some of them are actually just burnt out and just can't yeah what do they need? I feel like it's different on the individual child at the moment. I definitely would say though, the sense of being part of something greater. Like, like I agree with what you said. Like, I think that that is the need is to like feel still included and accepted and loved exactly where they're at. And I'm is there room for that to look differently for everyone to make a different contribution to the whole piece? Possibly. No, Could no. you collaborate with them to ask them, what part do you want to contribute to this? Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh, you got my ideas going now. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. And the beautiful part is you don't have to have all the answers. That's why you would ask them the question. Yeah. Yeah. And often just saying to them, I get why this is really hard because we're trying to prepare for this thing and we have no idea if it's even going to happen or not. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of that conversation happening. <laughs> and so the question is, why bother? Well, and honestly, that's... That's, I'm seeing that conversation right now across the board, like not just the students, but they're like, I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, why, why, why are we still doing this? <laughs> well, like why, you know? Um, and I think I've been hearing it a lot, um, a little bit in the collective too, like people just saying like, man, it's really hard to work with people right now because everybody's just kind of like me. I don't care anymore. Yeah. So the opportunity that's in front of you is to clarify why you would be involved and clarify why this is meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. And you have the skills, yeah. Maddie, to do yeah. that work yeah. with your people. Yeah. 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 And, and really, why are you in it? Some of the reasons are to compete and to have that experience and to be at that level and to, you know, competitions are great because it shows you where you stand compared to other people. Yep. That's not necessarily available to us. And yep. so it's really, why bother with the process? Mm. What yeah. kind of person do you become when you step into a process? Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm feeling resilient. <laughs> because <laughs> we're still going mm -hmm. um and I mean even just in this process so like there's been a lot of other things going on behind the scenes I just like won't it doesn't matter to get into but um 
I've definitely been discovering the size of my leadership shoes that I am capable of filling is a lot bigger than I had initially thought six months ago. Mm. You know, I've been doing things and making calls on things I would have previously like questioned my own judgment on that I no longer am anymore. Yeah. 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 There's been a lot of, uh, a ton of growth this year. And there's been a lot of things that have like happened and like learnings I've got that I'm like, man, as much as this whole thing has been uncomfortable and COVID is really wouldn't, (laughs) wouldn't wish this upon anybody, but (laughs) there has been a lot of really interesting like learnings and growth that have come out of it. Um, yeah. Interesting. Wow. This has given me lots to think about. I feel like I need to go journal now. I have that effect on people. It's good. It's good. I hope, uh, I hope maybe actually, can we leave some people with some journal questions? to go? Sure. Through? Yeah. Just Cause I feel I'm, I know I'm not the only one that's feeling, uh, this what's the point feeling maybe about some projects so can we I don't know if you want to just like restate those questions you just asked me and then whoever's listening can write these like two to three questions down and just go do some Mm -hmm. on it yeah and this is the process I lead my clients through and my students and this kind of positions you when you know how to to kind of mull over a really big question and work with it for a while, then you're actually building your skill and being able to support other people in doing that. And as a position for parents to, or leaders of adolescents to guide them through that process, because there are many things where there's not a quick and easy answer. You know, I can't, I can't tell you what steps to take. Although a lot of people on the internet want to tell people, you know, here are the three steps you need to take to make this better. You've, you've got to use your, you are an expert in your own situation and inside your own life Mm -hmm. and so you've got to take into account all of the information yeah so if there's something that you know our listeners are struggling with in their life really asking what's the point what kind of person am I becoming Mm -hmm. through this challenge yeah how do I want to show up in the face of this challenge Mm -hmm. And what's the other side of the coin? So, you know, in the language of lots of things have been taken away from us. So what has been given to me? Mm. Yeah. What's the opportunity? What's the uncomfortable gift? What's the challenge that I get to step into? I loved your metaphor of your, the size of your leadership shoes. <laughs> so those are some, some inquiries, some questions that you can journal on and think about and know that one journal journaling session might not get you it will reveal to you some of the things that you're thinking but you might while on this for a while and that means it's worthwhile it's worth spending your time on Mm -hmm. yeah I agree I definitely think just even yeah it is definitely worth the while because I think even the way I was thinking about this 20 minutes ago is different than the way I'm thinking about it now, you know, and I definitely think even just the slight perspective shift away from what is this taken away from me? Cause I feel when I start focusing on that, I spiral and then I get angry and pissed off. And then I'm just like, it's way harder to show up through that lens than it is through the lens of what is this giving me right because then it then it then it almost puts me in a state of curiosity which makes me want to show up because then it's more about what's going to happen next in 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 a a curious exciting way Mm -hmm. it it feels (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to like a Christmas present (laughs) (laughs) but that's an incredible shift and you can already feel the difference which is huge because oh my gosh the world has been shaken up by this global pandemic and it and it's telling us if we keep doing things the way we've always done it 
that's not going to work. We have to do things differently out of necessity. And so now why were we doing some of those other things and what's possible now that we've made a lot of these shifts? What, what could happen next? Maybe this could be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel too, in hindsight, a lot of the things that have happened in my life that are really difficult and I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy are the things I look back on and go, ah, that was the moment when everything changed and put me on this new trajectory that got me here. And now I'm grateful for it. But in the moment it felt hard. Yeah. And all of the heart work that you did through those experiences is what has given you the wisdom that you have, which is exactly why we've got to stop giving our young people our answers Mm. because they have to do that hard work because it creates who they are. Mm -hmm. That's the cultivation that they need to go through. And it is hard work and it's challenging to stand beside them and support them through that and see them struggle. But if our kids don't struggle in, in small ways, if they don't know how to go through a struggle, then that is the end of them because they feel like, any little bit of difficulty is a downward spiral into shame and it's their fault and their mental health plummets. But if we recognize life is filled with conflict and struggle and you got to rally your skills around how you're going to be in that because that is what life feels like. Yeah. Mm. (sighs) Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. And, uh, I've gotten so much out of this call (laughs) and I really, I know anybody listening, I'm sure will have something to be able to pull from it as well. Um, So thank you, Deanne, for being here. Thank you. You asked great questions, which is always makes it, makes it easy. Yeah. And this is why I don't love scripting too many questions ahead of time because I couldn't have come up with those questions three hours ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah. I'm just going to, again, if you guys want to connect with Deanne, she is on Instagram at radiant mom podcast. Uh, you also have your own podcast. Yes. Yeah. That's radiant mom podcast. Radiant mom podcast. Is that available? Where is that available? On my you can get it anywhere. Spotify, Apple podcast. You can connect to it, Love it. through my Facebook site, radiant mom podcast. Okay. Or on her website at www.radiantmom.ca. Uh, thank you, Deanne. This has been lovely connecting with you. I hope we can connect or see each other again at some point soon in the near future. <laughs> um and have a fantastic rest of your day thanks you too okay i'll talk to you later bye bye